This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. I heard this story this week about this little girl, and it went like this. There's this little girl in school, and she she was a lot like me as a kid, meaning a how do I say this nicely? I, my, my teachers, they, I was difficult, is what you might say. I was difficult. I, was, I talked a lot. I didn't pay attention in class. Matter of fact, my dad said, told a story about one time whenever I was a kid, he would, every once in a while, he'd just go up to the school and, and kind of look in the classroom and just check on me and just see how I was doing. And he said that he came in to see me and he kind of looked in and the teacher's teaching and I was literally turned around backwards in the seat with my legs up in the air, playing with something, kicking my legs back and forth, back and forth. And the only one in the room, and I guess I was so difficult to deal with that the teacher just let me do it. Like sometimes it's just better to not fight it, right? And he said that the teacher uh, eventually asked a question, hey, Mike, what did I just say? Da, da, da. And he said, I answered it perfectly. I was like, well, if he's getting it right, then you can't be mad at him, right? You got to let him learn the way he learns, right? And for me, it was just upside down, turned around, playing with my legs in the air. But anyway, so this little girl, she was like me. She was kind of difficult to deal with, I guess you could say. And nothing really ever, uh, she didn't really get excited about anything in school. She didn't really want to pay attention in school until one day they brought in this art teacher. And so they bring in this art teacher and she's kind of showing them how to draw and she's teaching them different things and she's showing them, you know, all how to draw, you know, shading and, you know, whatever, draw 3D images and so she let them kind of go off on their own and draw something on their own. And she said that the teacher walked to the back of the room where this little girl was sitting and she looked down and, and the little girl was just drawn away, drawn away. She was so excited about what she was doing. And the teacher asked the little girl, said, I'm, I'm, or said, I'm so excited to see you drawing. She said, what are you drawing a picture of? And she said, the little girl looked at her and said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the, the teacher looked back at the little girl and she said, well, well, honey, no one knows what God looks like. You can't draw a picture of God. And the little girl looked back up her and said, they'll know when I'm finished. <laughs> Sometimes all we need is a little bit of attitude and a different perspective, right? So today we're going to talk about a story that maybe is about having the right attitude. Maybe the key to it is changing our perspective a little bit, seeing ourselves a little bit differently. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 13. I'm going to start around verse 4. And a lot's happened since we left off. We were, uh, last time we met, we were talking about Lazarus and God raising him up from the dead. This incredible story about faith, this incredible story about God showing his power over death. And a lot's transpired since then. We, we, we're going to pick up in 13, but since chapter 11, where we were, we've seen uh, Passover begin. We've seen the triumphal entry was where Jesus comes into Jerusalem to the adoration and the praise of the crowd singing, Hosanna, save us, God in the highest. And they're proclaiming his name. They're worshiping him. They're, they're, they're expecting the Savior of the world to come. So they're praising his name. They're worshiping him. And now as we're going to look at chapter 13, we see Jesus sitting down to dinner with the disciples. But we haven't just seen uh, this incredible change of the the crowds screaming his name. We're seeing a change even in how Jesus is going to do ministry for the next few chapters. So all the way up until chapter 13, it's all about Jesus's public ministry. And so what he's doing is he's teaching the crowds. He's performing miracles and trying to show the world who he is. 
He's trying to show the world. He's trying to reveal to the world that I'm the God of the universe, right? He's healing the blind. He's bringing people back from the dead. He's doing all these incredible miracles to try to reveal to the people who he is. So he performs this miracle, and then he teaches on it for a little bit to say, this is who I am. But from chapters 13 to 17, and really for the rest of the, the book of John, Jesus now turns his gaze from the crowds to the disciples. And so we're going to see this change in even how Jesus is doing ministry, and now he's focused on the few. He's focused on the disciples. He's focused on the 12, and he's going to teach them some important lessons because you, we've got a bunch, you've got probably seven or eight chapters left in the book of John, but really what's crazy is all of that's going to transpire in about a week's time. So in a week's time, Jesus is going from being uh, praised and adored to being captured, arrested, beaten, and crucified on a cross in a week. And so what we're going to see over these next, through, next few chapters are the last things that Jesus is going to say to his disciples. The last things, these are the important things. These are the crucial things. These, these are the things that he's going, these are the things I need you to know before I go. And so these are, not that we don't want to pay attention to the rest of the book, right? I'm not saying that. But these are going to be some important lessons that if we're going to be disciples of Jesus too, we're going to want to take with us, okay? So we're going to jump in, and here we are at this dinner, and they, they have dinner together, and they, they finish up this supper. And as they finish this supper, Jesus is about to do something really interesting. And he's going to teach us an incredible truth about himself and an incredible truth about his expectation for the church, his expectation for Christians. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. It says, so he got up from supper and laid aside his robe. He took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. Verse 8, you will never wash my feet ever, Peter says. You see that exclamation? You will never wa wash my feet ever. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And Simon Peter said to him, this is why we love Peter, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head also. He's like, all right, well, then do the whole thing, Jesus. Verse 10, the one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, for he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, you're not all clean. This story is the story of foot washing. This is the great story about serving and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And what I love about when I teach on foot washing is all of you guys get nervous. Because every time you teach on foot washing, you got to wash somebody's feet. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, how clean are my feet today? And is Mike going to choose me? The first time I taught on foot washing, I, uh, it, I was a youth pastor. And when I was a youth pastor, there's this particular kid. And sometimes as a pastor, you pick out certain people because uh, you want to get some stuff through to their heads. So when I choose you today, if I chose you, it was for a reason, right? Anyway, so I picked this kid out because I, wanted, I was going to wash his feet. And the reason why is because this kid was another kid that was like me. He was tough. He was, he was a great kid, but he was hard-headed. He was stubborn. He thought he, everything I was doing, he was battling against because for some reason, man, he just did not like me. 
And so I taught on serving. I taught on foot washing. I brought this kid up in front of all the other 50 kids that were there that day. And I talked about what it's like to lower yourself, to humble yourself, to wash someone's feet. And as I washed his feet, here's something that's crazy happened is from that day forward, his and my relationship was changed. Like this kid became one of my best friends and not only one of my best friends, one of the best leaders in the group, uh, a kid that was always excited about everything that we were doing, a kid that believed in me. Why? Because now he believed that I loved him. Whenever I was willing to get down and serve him, he understood that I, was, that I loved him and that I cared about him, that I wasn't just there to boss him around. Here's the thing that you got to know about when we serve people is that when we serve, it doesn't just change you. It changes the person you serve. So I washed Kirk's feet, and from then on, he and I were best of the buds, man. We were best friends. As a matter of fact, he and his mom and I, his mom and I didn't really get along that well. I don't know. Sometimes I rug people the wrong way. And, uh, but when I left that church, she said, you know, Mike, we always butted heads, but one thing I'll say is that Kirk loved you to death, and for that, I'll always love you and appreciate you. When we serve, it doesn't just change us. It changes the people that we serve. So here we have this incredible story about who Jesus is and who he calls us to be. He's calling us to service. And don't worry, I'm not washing anybody's feet today, so y'all can all relax. I want you to be able to pay attention for the rest of the time. Like, like everybody's, one by one, y'all getting up, going to the bathroom to clean your feet before you get your feet cleaned, right? I see David in the back holding his feet up. I said, come on, Mike, I'll see you after service. <laughs> But here we have this incredible story about Jesus showing us who he is, God showing us his character and who he expects us to be. They're eating dinner, and as they're eating dinner, or when they finish, Jesus takes off his outer robe. He wraps the towel around himself. He gets on his knees, and he washes the disciples' feet one by one by one. And you notice something, right? They freak out. Like Peter's going, Jesus, you can't do this. You're not allowed to do this. You can't get down and wash my feet. Why? Why is it that they get so upset about Jesus washing their feet? Well, there's a few reasons. Foot washing was, um, it was something that was commonplace kind of in this, uh, the first century Jewish culture. It was a ritual cleansing, kind of like washing your hands. Like you want to wash your hands before dinner. It was kind of like that, but it was different. And here's, here's why they did foot washing. Here was the whole point behind it. Because in this world, you're walking around. Uh, you ever seen like Gladiator? You ever seen, you know, like Cleopatra? Any, any kind of those old movies where they portray what the Roman world was like back then? What are people wearing? They're not wearing Nikes, right? They're not wearing the Nikes. They're either wearing sandals or they're wearing what? Nothing, and they don't have the, the beautiful, you know, pavement jungle that we have out here. So even as they're walking with no sand or with no sand or with sandals or with no shoes, they're walking in dirt and dust and grime. And by the way, they don't have these beautiful cars that we have. So everywhere they go, they're walking. And so as you walk all day long, you begin to collect dust and dirt and grime, and it gets in between your toes, and it gets in your toenails, and it gets, you know, if you're like me with hairy legs, it gets all up in your leg hair, right? It's just gross. And so what would happen is when you would come into someone's house, when you'd enter into someone's house, what you would do is you would, uh, as a sign of respect, you would have a, a, a basin or a jar of water and you would either have a slave or a servant come and wash their feet, or you would let them wash their feet themselves. And it wasn't just, it was to keep clean, but it wasn't just for the purpose of cleaning. It was also a sign of respect and honor. 
So you'd have this a slave or you'd have one of your servants come and wash this person's feet uh, to honor them, to show them respect. As a matter of fact, if you didn't offer this, it was, dis- it was uh, considered disrespectful. If you remember, there's a time when Jesus goes over to one of the Pharisees' house and as he sits in his house, this woman comes in and she begins to wash Jesus' feet and she literally is washing his feet with her tears. And the Pharisees get all upset about it. And he says, how dare you? She's wasting this good perfume. She said, and Jesus says, you offered me nothing when I came in here. You, offer, you didn't even offer to wash my feet. Why? Because that Pharisee was showing disrespect towards Jesus. He, was, he didn't think he was a great teacher. He didn't think he was God. And so even in that, he was showing him disrespect. And so when you enter into someone's house, you would have this opportunity to wash your feet. And it was important. To have your feet washed was a way to honor that person. To have a servant or slave wash their feet was a way to honor that person. For the, so for the person getting their feet washed, it was great. But for the person doing the washing, it was considered a very menial and very degrading task. It was always done by the person who was the lowest of the low on the totem pole in the house. As a matter of fact, this is kind of something interesting. In Jewish culture, the Jewish people considered foot washing such a degrading task that they wouldn't even let their Jewish slaves do it. So what they would do is have their Gentile slaves or anybody who wasn't Jewish, they're the ones that would do it. So it was so, they considered it so degrading that they didn't even let the Jewish slaves do it. They had to have the Gentile slaves do it. And you might see a child wash their parents' feet or a a student wash a teacher's feet, but you would never, 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 never see someone who was considered higher in social status washing someone's feet of who was lower in social status. And so as the disciples see this, this isn't just Jesus saying, hey, man, let me take out the garbage for you. This is literally something that they had never seen done before. This was something that they would have never even considered to be in the realm of possibilities. This was a big deal. And so they're blown away. They're probably outraged, really, if you think about it. Jesus, you can't do this. At this point, they're understanding that this is God in the flesh. You can't lower yourself to the the status of a slave and wash our feet. You can't. You don't understand. God doesn't do this. And so they're they're blown away. They're outraged. I was trying to to figure out what's a good comparison. Like I was sitting with a friend at lunch this week, and we were talking about it. And we're like, what's a good comparison to, to now, to even what this would look like? And we couldn't really come up with anything good. The best we came up with was if you went over to England, you walked into Buckingham Palace, you walked in the bathroom, and you see the Queen of England down there scrubbing the toilets. <laughs> you ain't going to see that, right? Because if we went over there and we did that, people in England would be, be outraged. Why? Because the queen doesn't scrub, scrub the toilets. And even then, that's not a good enough comparison because we're talking about the God of the universe, right? And so we see Jesus, God of the universe, God in the flesh, lowering himself to the status of a slave to serve those whom he loves. That's pretty powerful stuff. And it's too much for Peter, right? Because Peter says, God, you can't, you can't do this. You can't, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. If you don't let me do this, you have no part of me. And he says, you don't understand right now, but you will. What's Peter talking about? Or what is Jesus talking about? Why is he saying, if you don't let me do this, you have no part, or, or you're not going to understand now, but you will? What is this? What Jesus is talking about, what he's referring to is 
this concept as he lowers himself to a slur, a servant, a slave, slur, I'll put those together, slurvent. Somebody, y'all put that in Wikipedia for me. As he lowers himself to the status of a slave, what Jesus is doing is he's foreshadowing towards the cross. Because in a few days, Jesus is going to get arrested. In a few days, Jesus is going to get beaten. In a few days, Jesus is going to be crucified on a cross. And it's not for his sins that this is happening. It's for our sins that this is happening. And as he's looking at Peter, he's saying, in order for me to die on the cross for you, the God of the universe must lower himself to the status of a slave and do what's not, not fair, to do what's considered insane, but to lower himself to the status of a slave so that, I can, so that he can die for your sins, so that you can find salvation, forgiveness, hope, and life in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, Peter, what I'm doing now is this is nothing, man. And you don't get it now, but one day you will. And here's the thing. When I die on the cross for you, is you must partake in that. You must partake in my sacrifice for you. You must find forgiveness in that. Otherwise, you have no part of me. And so as Jesus lowers himself to wash his disciples' feet, they say no, but Jesus says, you don't understand, I have to do it. As Jesus heads toward the cross, we scream no, but Jesus says, you don't understand, I must do this for you. Praise God, right? He's so good. He's so good. And so he moves on, verse 12. When Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he puts on his robe and he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well, this is right, he said, for I am. So if your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, check this out. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So as he, after he finishes washing the disciples' feet, he puts his robe back on. He reclines. And I like how it says that. He reclines. He's laid back, chilling. He, as he finishes, he begins to teach, and he asks them, do you understand the ramifications of what I've just done for you. He says, you call me teacher and master. You call me Lord. You understand that I'm the God of the universe. You understand that I'm the creator of the universe. And he says, you're right. I am those things. He says, do you understand what your God has just done for you? Do you understand the power behind what your God has done for you? And then he says, a student is not greater than a master or a teacher. A slave is not greater than his master. What he's saying is, I have given you the ultimate example, and I am calling you to follow it. And not just calling us to follow it, almost commanding us to follow it. I would say he is commanding us to follow it. See what I've done, now you follow me. Oh, wow. And I like that he finishes it with a blessing. If you know these things, you will be blessed if you...
do it. What's he asking them to do? Is he asking them to, to die on the cross? It, it, well, no, I mean, that, that sacrifice cannot be repeated. But what he's saying is this model of self-giving, self-sacrificing, serving love must be, check this out, if you take notes, you need to write this down. This, this model of self-sacrificing, self-giving, service, and love must become a natural feature, a natural outflowing of the church. As I serve, as you see my example, this must become a natural outflowing of who you are, Christian church, disciple. We are servants. As people describe you, this needs to be a defining quality of who we are. As people describe the River Church, we want this to be a defining quality of who we are. Servants, a serving church, right? Like people might say a lot of things about me. I don't know, some good, some bad, right? I can tell you some things about me. I'm a a husband, father, uh, leader, teacher, pastor, I hope that, some, that somewhere on that list at the top, people will describe me as servant. I hope that the true or that the same would be true about our lives as well. Whenever everybody's in college, right, or college age, there's this period of time when we go through this thing, right? We're, we're sitting around, we're talking to everybody, we go to our counselor, and we're like, I just don't know what to do with my life. <laughs> You're laughing because it's true, right? I just don't know where to go. I just don't know what to do. And I mean, I hope that God's calling you to be like a rich CEO, right? I hope that he's like, I want you to be a billionaire, right? And also a member of the River Church, right? A tithing member of the River Church. (laughs) But I don't know if he's calling you to be a CEO. I don't know if he's calling you to be a janitor. But what I do know is he's calling you to be a servant. So it doesn't matter what capacity that is for you. It means that CEO or janitor, Christ has called you to be a servant of all. And look, this is hard for us, right? This is hard for me. Like, I'm not going to stand up here and preach. You need to be a servant, servant, servant. You need to be a servant. You need to be a servant. You need to be a servant. This is really hard for me, too. Like, two weeks ago, my wife's not in here, so I can tell you all right now. Two weeks ago, she came to me and, like, tore me up, man. Mike, I need you to pick it up here. You're not serving me like you need to. And and it was a very healthy and good conversation. But what I'm saying is I got problems with it too, man. Why? Well, because the truth is from the very beginning, from the time we're born, we're taught one thing, that life is all about what? Me. Life is all about me. And so we love the concept of serving, don't we? No? We love the concept of serving as long as what? As long as we're the ones getting served. I like that idea. We're talking about a beach, Cancun, all-inclusive resort, people bringing me food. and drink. Yeah, I think I could handle that. I'm okay with that, right? But we don't really like to be on the other side of that, do we? It's hard. It's hard. Why? Because we're taught life is all about me. And look, I'm terrified to death. I love my son more than almost anything, anything, right? But I'm terrified to death that I'm raising a spoiled brat. And the reason why is because I tell him a thousand times a day how perfect and awesome and amazing he is, right? Like, dude, you are, you are the best. You are perfect. You look, nobody has a bald head like you got a bald head, huh, right? Like, it's the best. He needs to know that. But when we're constantly taught that life is all about us, the problem is it's hard to change that perspective. And it's hard to change that thinking, right? Because we're used to it. We, we like it. 
We, we, we like it, right? It's hard. And, and there's a little bit part of us, and I, you know, you don't have to admit to this, and, but there's a little part of us too that, that goes along with that thinking that intrinsically thinks that we're a little bit better than other people, and maybe we deserve a little bit more than other people, or maybe we deserve, right? And so it's hard for us to serve other people. And that's because of sin, right? That's because of sin in our lives. And the hardest thing to do when it comes to serving is serving the people you see every day, right? Like it's easy to serve the boss when he comes walking by once a week. It's hard to serve your coworker every day that just won't stop yapping, that just gets on your nerves all the time, right? It's hard to serve the neighbor that keeps, you know, driving you crazy. It's hard to serve, you know, the husband or the wife that's always there. They never leave. Nobody tells you that when you get married. They're always there, right? It's hard. But it's also beautiful. So how do we do that? If, if it's difficult, if it's hard to be a servant, and yet at the same time, God's calling us to it, like it's this paradox, right? Like it's so difficult, it goes so much against our natural human nature, and yet Jesus is saying, this is who I'm calling you to be. That's a tug of war right there, isn't it? Like it's constantly waging war against itself. One's always winning out. How do we beat that? Well, I have, I, there's a couple of things that I think will be helpful that I want to mention to you. The first one is that it only comes through the, the foundation of it all is God's transformative power. It's God's power through the Holy Spirit. It's his transformative power in our hearts, in our lives, in our souls that can transform us from being the selfish person that's all about me to being a servant of all. And so I say that if you want to be a servant, first and foremost, you need to ask him to make you a servant. I, think, I don't think it's a one-time thing. I think it has to be a daily priority in our lives. I think it's something that we need to make a focus daily in our lives, maybe something that we pray every day. As a matter of fact, when I was in uh, Georgia a couple weeks ago, I was walking into a subway, and I saw at the same time an old friend of mine walking into that same subway. Who would have thought, right? And so this guy is awesome. His name's Ray. He's about 70 years old, one of the most, the coolest guys you ever meet. And the reason I say I told you his age is because about five years ago, he canoed like from the, from like North Carolina or South Carolina to Florida and was on the road on canoeing and camping for, I think he was gone for like over two months or something crazy like that. And he did it for missions, to raise money for missions. Talking about a cool guy who has the right mindset, somebody that's become kind of a hero in a way, a guy that you look at and go, I want to be like that. So anyways, as we sat down to lunch, he did something, and I, I've heard him do this a bunch of times. I knew he did it, but I forgot. As he prayed for his meal, as he prayed for our meal, he said this thing, he was pretty, you know, the, the usual, right? Thank you for this food, you know, all that good stuff. But then he said, Father God, I pray that today you'll bring somebody in my life that I can serve in your name. And he prays that, I kid you not, every time he prays, he puts that in there. Or every time I've heard him pray, he puts that in there. Father, bring someone into my life today that I can serve in your name. I think if we want to be a servant, the first thing we need to do is focus on being a servant and ask God to help us be a servant. And, and, and here's the thing is, if you ask him to bring people in your life to serve, he's going to do it. And that's when it gets hard, right? Like it's that, it's that old adage of don't pray for patience, because if you do, God's going to make it happen. That's going to be when you, you're stuck in traffic for eight hours on the way home, or right? Don't pray for patience, because God's going to give it to you. And the only way it comes is through pain. <laughs> <laughs> 
So if you ask God to make you a servant, he will. So pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, Father, please bring me one person to serve today in your name. I think it starts there. A second thing I think that it does is, or another thing that I think will be helpful is if we would understand that being a servant, as much as it is an action, being a servant is way more to do, has much more to do about the posture of our hearts than it does about the action we perform. As Jesus took off his robe, as he wrapped around the towels, he got on his knees. That is a lowly and humble posture, right? And I think that what Jesus is doing on the outside is revealing to us, is showing the nature of his heart on the inside. Sometimes, and maybe it's just me, but sometimes when I serve my wife or sometimes when I go and get, like the other day, Katie was doing some cleaning and I was, I had just gotten done mowing the yard. So I, I lay down on the couch and I'm hanging out, relaxing. And our son, I didn't realize it, but he was in there with her cleaning. Well, I, it's not that I didn't realize, I just wasn't paying attention. But anyways, he's in there with her and she called. She's like, hey, Mike, can you come grab him? Can you come get him out of here for me? So I'm like, oh, I'm tired, man. All right, fine, I'll get up. So I go in there, I grab him and I'm kind of telling on myself. I picked him up, brought him in there and I was just frustrated and upset. And she came in and she was like, Mike, what's the problem? What's going on? I'm like, I'm tired. I don't and so I'm going on and on. And, I, and she's like, well, I just need you to hold. I'm like, I am. I'm helping you out. What do you want? I'm serving you. I'm being a sacrificing for you, right? What do y'all think I was serving my wife right there? Y'all think she was like, I am so thankful for my husband right now, <laughs> right? She was thinking that other guy I was dating seems real good right now, <laughs> right? That's not serving her, right? Like serving her would have been walking in there, grabbing him, saying, I got him, don't worry. Thanks for, thanks for cleaning, by the way. You know, that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. But taking her, I'm going to play with my son for a little bit. Now, the actions of those two things are the same thing, right? In both cases, I went and picked him up and brought him to the other room and, play, and playing with him, keeping him out of her hair, right? So why don't I get credit for that? Why, why am I not being a servant? Because being a servant has as much to do with the posture of our heart, the, the attitude that comes out of us, right? As it does the action. Like if you're serving and you're complaining, you're pitching a fit and you have a bad attitude about it, and you're, that's not serving. That's called begrudgingly doing something because you have to, right? Like that's not serving. Serving is as much about the status of our heart as it is anything else. The next thing I would say in serving is that a servant is humble, there's a book that I read uh, a few weeks ago called The Ideal Team Player, and it's a book about uh, organizations and how to, uh, how to get great teams, right, in, in, the, in your organization. And so the guy talks about it, he says there's three things that a great team player has. If you want somebody that's going to be a, a great team player, they need to have these three attributes. And the three attributes was that they were people smart, they were hungry, People smart, meaning like uh, social intelligence. Uh, they were, they're hungry. They, they work hard. They have that passion for what they're doing. And the third attribute was that they were humble. And what was interesting in that book is he, he said the others can kind of be taught. The others can kind of come out. But if they're not humble, you need to get them off the team. If they're not humble, you need to get them out of there. Why? Because a humble servant doesn't carry entitlement into his serving. A humble servant doesn't say, I'm serving, I deserve this. I'm serving, I need this. Well, because I'm serving, I get this. A humble servant, we're in a world that's teaching us to think about ourselves first. A humble servant is thinking about others first. And thirdly, and maybe this is the most important, a humble servant doesn't think they're better than anybody else. So a humble servant serves all. 
not just the certain ones, not just the ones that are easy to serve. Why do I say that? Because remember this, as Jesus got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet, don't you forget for a second that he washed Judas' feet as well. The one who in a few hours was about to stand up, walk out of the room, go to the Pharisees, and for 30 pieces of silver betray the Son of God to be arrested and crucified. A humble servant serves all. Yeah, but they're a jerk. Serve them anyways. Yeah, but they've hurt me. Serve them anyways. Yeah, but you don't understand. I'm sure I don't, and I would love for you to explain it to me. Serve them anyways. Humble servant serves all, not just the ones that are easy to serve. And finally, I'll say this. Well, there's actually, I'm going to add one more in here. Humble servant doesn't serve with ulterior motives. And I'll tell you a quick story. There's one time I was talking to this guy, and he was married, newly married. And, uh, you know, if you're newly married, you're not that wise yet. And if you've been married for a long time, you're still not that wise probably, but if you're me anyways. Um, but he came up to me and he said, you know, Mike, you have been talking about these, you know, these things about how, you know, the Bible says about serving your wife and laying down your life for your wife and, da, 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 and I'm doing all these things. and I'm doing what you're talking about doing. I'm doing what you're telling me to do. But Mike, she's not changing. Y'all seeing the problem there? <laughs> Bro, if you're serving her to get her to be different, this is not going to end well for you. A true servant doesn't serve with ulterior motives. He serves because Christ has called us to serve. And then finally, a servant, last tip for you. A servant, someone with a servant's heart, finds joy or has joy in serving. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes you maybe you're not like, I'm so excited to do this right now, right? But you'll still find joy in serving the ones that you love. Like earlier when I talked about you never saw someone of lower social status washing someone of higher social status' feet. Well, there's this cool story. It's this cool old uh, Jewish story about this, this wife. And she wanted to wash her husband's feet. She believed that, like, that she wanted to serve him in that way. And so her husband said, absolutely not. I will not let you demean yourself that way. I'm going to have the slaves do it. You will never wash my feet. So she did what any good wife would do. She sued him. That deserved a little bit more of a laugh, right? That was, that was funny. She sued him. She took him to court to be able to wash his feet, and she won. So now this husband has to let his wife wash his feet, and he asked her why. He said, why do you want me? Why do you want to wash my feet? Why is this so important to you? And here's what she said, because you're my husband, and it is my honor to wash your feet. It is my honor honor and joy to serve you this way. And she said, you are my husband and I alone will wash your feet. No one else's hands will ever touch your feet. That's pretty cool. Now I'm not saying you got to go home and wash your spouse's feet, but I think that's a pretty cool attitude to have, don't you? I will serve you because it's my honor to serve you. I will serve you because I find joy in serving you. I will serve you because there is my privilege to serve you. That's Now that is a perspective change, isn't it? That is a perspective change. And I believe that as Christians, God 
commands us to have that perspective. To serve is not something we do begrudgingly, but to serve is something that we have honor in doing, right? We find joy in doing. It's our privilege to follow the example of our creator. It's our privilege to follow the example of the one who gave all to serve us. And so why we serve each other, why we serve those that it might be difficult to serve, why as Christians we serve the world? One, because our Savior commands it. That's a pretty good reason, but it's always, that's sometimes a difficult one, right? But I believe that we should serve because nothing, nothing in your life, I think, this is just my opinion, but I believe there's nothing in your life that will be more transformative in your relationship with Christ than him transforming you from, a, from someone who's selfish and someone that's focused on me to a servant of all. I believe that was one of the most powerful and transformative things that God does in our Christian lives is creating us, making us servants. I believe that we are never more like Jesus than when we serve each other. We're never more like Jesus when we serve the world around us. And finally, I'll say this. I believe we're, we never show Jesus to the world, to our, the people in our workplace, to our friends and family, to our spouse, to our neighbors, than when we serve. If, that makes, if that's the time that we are the most Christ-like, I believe that's the time that people will most see Christ in our lives. Why? Because it's so countercultural, right? In a world that's screaming, it's all about me to have Christ transform our lives so much that we become servants of all. That has to leave a lasting impact. And I believe that has to change both the one that is serving and the one that is being served. And I want the River Church to be a serving church. I believe that we have some incredible servants in this place. I mean, you can't be a mobile church and not have some pretty great servants, right? People that every week set up and break down and come here and just work tirelessly. Like, we have some incredible servants in our church, and I believe God sees that. I believe God blesses that. I believe God's going to bless our church because of your servant's heart, and so I want to challenge you to be proactive about being a servant. I want to challenge you this week to ask God to give you opportunities to serve. And so this week, as, I, as, as we leave, I want to challenge you to do this, to ask God to give you an opportunity to serve someone. As you go out, I want to challenge you to pray for this every day. God, like Ray was praying, oh, Ray, God, today bring someone into my life that I can serve in your name. And that can be both big and small, right? All matter. Let's pray. Father, create a servant's heart in us, God. Thank you so much for the people in this place and, and, and how you already really are making, them, making us servants. God, we want to be like you. We want to look like you. We want to live our lives in the way that you call us to, God. And so I pray that you would create um, this, well, that, that as you work in the River Church, that you would create servants. God, that we would find joy in serving others, that we would find joy in serving you. God, I pray that you would uh, transform our lives. Jesus, let the River Church be known for, if nothing else, a church that serves, and a church that serves because of what God has done in our hearts, minds, and life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.